welcome to the Feedback Force podcast, the game design analysis podcast of the End Defender community. I'm Kelso. And I'm Kyla. And I'm Carl. And we've been on break, and now we're no longer on break. Yeah, we're I back. Mean, it was it was winter break. Most people were on break. It wasn't just us. Yeah, that's um, true. Like pretty much every stream that I uh, that I watch regularly went on some kind of hiatus. So. Also, we record on Sundays, and Sundays were pretty occupied. Yeah, True. they they tend to be kitty. Uh, that's okay. We're back now. I hope everybody had an awesome break. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was good. It was pretty good. I did like almost nothing. I just you know like stayed at home and relaxed, and it was amazing. Yeah, those are. Those I are good highly breaks. recommend that. Yeah, those are good breaks. I, I did the opposite. And I, <laughs> no. And I, I um, we went up into the mountains and did like family gathering stuff for a little while. So that's where I was on Christmas, and then uh, and then I flew out to the East Coast and spent like a week and a half with my boyfriend and like his family. So I like met his parents. Sort of for like the second time, but for the first time, kind of for real. If that mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense, but it's no, I I totally get that. Yeah, um, it's like you met, but you weren't introduced. Yeah, <laughs> previously, pretty much. Yeah, um, and what else? And like I met some of his friends and his roommate. I, I just a lot of meeting people, uh, a lot. Of drinking of very large amounts of alcohol uh, were consumed <laughs> because I was there on New Year's and also just in general. Uh, so that's good. I survived that. Uh, and then I came home, and I've been home for like a week today. I got home last Sunday. Uh, and my parents got a, another dog yesterday. They have a they Oh, have yeah, a I saw that on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Like, basically the story was my mom... Uh, saw a a Bernese Mountain Dog somewhere, and decided, man, those are really cute dogs. And then she looked up the life expectancy, uh, and the life expectancy of a Bernese Mountain Dog is like six years or something. So yeah. that's that's no good. So they have a a it's a Bernadoodle. So it's a Bernese Mountain Dog crossed with a poodle. So okay, that's. Sure. Any dog crossed with a poodle always sounds so fun. <laughs> the doodles? I mean, yeah, the various doodles? They've already got a golden doodle. So, which is a I golden mean, retriever and a doodle. If, you're, if your main concern is to get a dog that's genetically healthy, you should get a mutt. Because, like, mutts are the most genetically healthy because they have the, the best mix. That's what I said, but, you know. Because, because like... So it, it came. It, it came from a breeder, so it has a certificate, which means prob- yeah, probably which means you know not exactly much at how, all. It means you know exactly how inbred it is. Like, yeah, it's not. Anyway, I had nothing to do with this decision. <laughs> yes, um, I, I, I did uh, register your complaints <laughs> on the matter on Twitter. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, whatever. They, it'll, it'll, it'll be loved. Well loved. Yeah. And it's cute. Even if, it, even if its lifespan ends up being short, it will be a good few years. Yeah, and it's cute. It will live for like two weeks. 
<laughs> oh, don't say that. Apparently, they're guaranteed for like their health is guaranteed for like two years or something. I don't. Know. They've got a warranty. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's weird to me. Like, it's, you know, it's not, it's not like that. It's not like oh, we bought an extra warranty. That's just like what the breeder no, has like, said. No, I, I get it. Like, I, I understand. It's their way of saying like, hey, we guarantee that we're not selling you like sickly, uh, you know, a yeah. sickly puppy mill dog. Yeah. But it's still like, it's still what weird. happens if something goes wrong with the dog? I have no idea. Do you idea. get some money? Do you get have, a new dog? I have no idea. <laughs> Honestly, no, no clue. Uh, and yeah, hopefully, that's a good question. What is the exchange policy on? Dogs? I mean, I'm sure they know. I wasn't there when they uh, when they went and picked it up. Basically, basically, what happened was uh, yesterday. Uh, they said, "Well, we're gonna go look at the at the we're gonna go to the breeders and we're gonna look at the puppy that is available that we're interested in." And as they were leaving, I heard my stepdad say to my mom, "Did you?" do you have your checkbook? And I was like, I see what's going on here. <laughs> and my mom was like, well, it's just in case, it's just in case we make a decision. And I was like, you've made uh-huh. your decision. <laughs> you know you're getting a goddamn dog. Yeah. But, you know, it's cute. They haven't, they haven't decided on a name for her yet. But, so next episode, uh, I will be back you at will you. will reveal with, the dog's name. Yes, with, with the name of the dog. So, Doggy McDog face. Know. Yeah, that would be great. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start calling her that, uh, and and that'll just be her name because that'll be the only thing she answers to. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> but I would love it if that happened. I have such a weird relation to pet names because we had cats pretty much when I was growing up all the time, mm-hmm. and we always call it <laughs> no, but we always just call him the cat. Yeah, no? I mean, I've, it didn't I, really have a name. I I very I, frequently refer to my cat as the cat, so yeah. But now it's a problem because my parents have two cats now. I was gonna say, what happens if you have more than one cat? Well, it's easy. You call one the black one, and one the red one. Ah. Yeah. Or like the cat That's... and the other cat. The uh, my friends had uh, three cats, and their names ended up being um. Boy, girl, and jish, which was short for orangish. Nice. I I knew a lady growing up who had a cat named Gray Cat, and that was her only cat. But his name was Gray Cat, and he had a snaggle tooth. And when when Gray Cat died, she had his snaggle tooth apparently removed and set into a locket. Oh, that's only a little creepy. It's only a little. That's like I mean that's that's about the the level of creepy that I would get up to. Yeah. <laughs> so that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I knew a friend that was oranges ish. <laughs> um, Huck, Huck wants me to 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 set the record straight that uh, in fact they didn't even name the orange cat. It was the friends of the family, Huck's family, who named it Jish. <laughs> That's good. I think that the idea was that, like, originally they weren't intending to keep the cats, so they didn't want to get attached. Oh, were, um, they, were they, like, had, fostering or something? I think they were, like, um, found barn cats or something, which happens a lot around us. Yeah. That's how we ended up with our cat, was she was a barn cat from nearby who, like, wandered into our house. Yeah, my grandma always had barn cats just around, so mm-hmm. I get it. Eh. 
I'm trying to think if there's like a name that we can that we can recommend for your parents' dog that would like make it a mascot for the podcast somehow. They, they've they've already got like like five names picked out, so they just need to settle ah, on on one. They need to choose from from one of those. Yeah, it's like what oh. are they? It's like uh, Cassie, Riley, uh, Juno. There's one more that I don't remember, and Josie, which is the one that I like because of the outlaw Josie Wales. Um, but I don't think that's what they're going with. Yeah, I mean, fair. Um, but it could be like, I don't know, feedback, feedback pooch or something. We could call her Fifi. <laughs> Fifi! Ah! Uh, this is gonna be like, this is gonna be like. You should recommend a, Fifi and not explain. Yeah. I mean, it's gonna be like a 70 to 80 pound dog. So Fifi yep. might, it would it would be like a, a nice juxtaposition. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say like the 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 picture you posted looked like a fairly small dog, but Bernie's Mountain Dogs get real big. And, and like a, a standard poodle, like they're they're yeah they're, they're not small dogs big. either. They're they're just leggy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it's like fourteen weeks old right now, so that that's why that's, that's why she looks so small. Yeah. She's, <laughs> Actually, just just as I was getting home and I was coming up the stairs, uh, I had her. I heard her bark for the first time. She's been pretty quiet since she got here, but little yipper. How many? How many other dogs do you have? Two. Does your family have two? Okay. So they've got a, a like an English golden retriever and a golden doodle. Okay. And then and now we've and like two cats in the house. Mine and and. Uh, the one that was my sister sister's cat, but my sister couldn't keep it because her husband's allergic, so now it's just my mom's cat. Ah. Uh, so five animals in the house. Six so if you count me. Got, she's got a lot to get used to. Yeah. Your uh your uh new companion there. Yeah. It's, they're they're keeping her like crated sort of <clears throat> until she well. gets uh until she's a little less like wary of everything. So. Yeah, that's that seems like that's good practice for puppies, I think. Yeah. And that way uh, they they can't pee everywhere. They can only pee in one very <laughs> specific place. <laughs> yeah. I think uh our friends who had a, an apartment had uh their dog for like the first year whenever they left maybe even more than a year whenever they left they would just put up like a baby gate um in the in the kitchen and so yeah. the uh the the dog would have to stay in the kitchen yeah, that's our they, friends who have a corgi oh corgis yeah they 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 have gated off the kitchen as well so that you know that's where she's just going to be sort of quarantined to until yeah. she's, until she's like until they're sure she's like housebroken so yeah until you can be sure that she's like not ready to roam free on yeah. uh, carpets, and I mean, like we gotta keep her off the stairs too because she's probably too young for stairs at this point. Because I know I think it's like if you let them run up and down the stairs at too young of an age, then that can screw up their hips later on in life or something. So interesting. Yeah, I guess that's what I've heard. So. Hmm. I've never heard a caution to like not let your dog have stairs, but I mean, presumably that's a thing. I mean, I guess it, it only applies to like small, like young, <laughs> young, young animals. 
And I mean, I guess, you know, if they're like... I mean, I guess you wouldn't let your baby go downstairs for probably true. similar that's reasons. True. And I mean, I guess if they're like, like, small and sort of clumsy, it could be bad at like, cause they, you know, they could fall down yeah, the stairs, so that would not, not be, yeah, sort of just tumble. Take a to tumble. be fair, if a baby tried to like, go down the stairs, I wouldn't be worried about the hips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, yes. Agreed. More worried about their soft skull areas. <laughs> their soft, mushy baby skulls. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's, that's been dog talk. I feel like I've monopolized this whole <laughs> segment. <laughs> well, I wanted to see if any of you guys had uh, watched AGDQ this past week, and if so, if you had any favorite speedruns. I really Not didn't. Really. I, I sort of popped in and out, but I didn't. I didn't like tune in for anything specifically. I've been getting really into it lately, like the the past couple iterations. There's some there's some pretty intense stuff and I think it it, it just like I don't know, it pleases me to see people doing just like objectively meaningless things just for the sake of doing them well, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I I do want to go back and see if I can get like the vod of the uh, the Arabian Nights one. Oh my god, that, that's it's so funny. Yeah, like I I was sort of like I watched a little bit of it, and I had to go do some other stuff. But like, um, I was I was sort of seeing the reactions to it on Twitter, and man, it seems extremely wild. So I am I am planning to watch most of the awful games block vods. Um, you can see. Uh, most things will, uh, or like the, they have most of the stuff already up. They don't actually, I mean, they do put stuff on YouTube eventually, but they don't have like a res- a um, subscription restriction on their videos, so you can just go back and look at like recent videos to see oh, it. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, that's good to know. Um, you you do have to like they only um, like cut the video stream like once every day and a half or something. So you do have to kind of go You'd like have, to... have the schedule handy and yeah, you know, scrub through it a little bit. That's, but uh, that's, yeah, that's good to know. <laughs> but yeah, no the the awful games block is always a highlight of the winter ones. And uh, there was a race they did towards the end, which was two players doing um, Legend of Zelda: uh, Link to the Past. Oh, the random race. Yeah, on randomizer, which is like hilariously awesome. Any chest in the game can contain basically any item, um, with some caveats to make sure that you can't get like stuck in the game, right? Um, And so it's just a it's an exercise in like figuring out like getting random items and then figuring out like knowing the game well enough to know what you can even do next with, like, the th- random assortment of things that you have. <laughs> yeah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, the random races have become quite popular recently. It kind of made me want to, want to, like, play that mode, just even as a casual thing. Just like, hmm, I bet that's, like, a, a different and interesting way to play the game. Yeah. I think they upload everything they do. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. List, so it's easy to get a hold of. Yeah. I could find and grab the ROM. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was pretty exciting. Um, gosh, there were so many interesting ones. There was a, a Kingdom Hearts run. There was a, it was Birth by Sleep, which is the, the, the PSP, PSP one? I, I think. Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. 
I still I still have only ever played the first Kingdom Hearts game. I mean that's fine. Yeah, and me I too. think I think eventually I will play the second one, but I just I, I should actually I really need to just pick up the remixes cuz I yeah, that's, that's, that's got that's all the extra stuff. Cuz they're better anyway. Yeah. Um, um like, I yeah, I agree. Well, I can't agree cuz I haven't played them, but I had a, huge issues with one with it being not that great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's fine if you don't like the Kingdom Hearts series. Like, it's sort of a specific taste. It's one of those um, things where, like, I, I like the first one a lot. It's just really difficult because, and that's why, and this is why I'm totally on board with getting the remixes because, like, what other freaking franchise has been spread across so many different platforms? Like, like yeah. PS2, Game Boy Advance, DS, 3DS, PSP, uh, probably others that I'm forgetting. Uh, mobile phone. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, there were mobile ones. Yeah, like that's just, and it's all, and it's all canon. It's all canon. Yeah. Like if you if you care if you care about the lore, then there's that's a there's a lot of games to get through. Yeah, and I'm I am a big a big lore dweeb, so. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna make a guess here and say, when it's canon. Does that mean the story is pretty bad? I, 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 the impression that I get is that it gets increasingly more convoluted. But that's, that's also, like, that's, that's also true for Resident Evil. Resident Evil is just a mess at this point. But who cares? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, canon in this case mostly meaning, like, if you want to know the full story, like, there's, legit pieces of the story that are relevant to the main plot yeah. in every single game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's... It's hard because I love this game so much, but I totally understand why, like, someone would not want to invest in that. Uh, but it's it's good to get the, um, the remixes anyway because they fix a lot of problems from the original yeah. uh, in terms of, like, the first game had unskippable cutscenes. Yep. And um, long ones. Yeah. And yeah, not short ones. Right before boss fights. Right exactly. before boss fights, yep. I, um, I and also, that pain. Although I was okay with the camera, it had kind of a, a limited camera compared to some other games, which yeah. they opened up a lot. Um, and, you know, they do some, they add some other little stuff for, like, extra boss fights and things that's cool. And um, Yeah, and if you get the remixes, you can just buy, like, a handful of games for one system instead of getting well two systems now because the most recent one is for PS4. But you know you don't have to get all the games. You can just get uh, a few, um, and you, you don't have to buy like six different consoles in order yeah. to see it. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's my that's sort been of our plug episode on Kingdom Hearts. Hearts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll be back next week <laughs> or next in two weeks. Oh God! If we pl- if we were to play a goddamn Kingdom Hearts game for uh, for one of these episodes, Oof. you have no idea. Oh man! I can like basically like recite the lore for you. It's so bad. I mean, that's like that's like me in Elder Scrolls though. So. <laughs> There was a, there was a good tweet um, that was uh, how what was like. Look, the the story for Kingdom Hearts is not that complicated. Uh, 
Sora is a boy who lives on an island and dreams of some place bigger. And then it's marked as like one of 14,220. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like, I like thread length gags. Those are good. Yeah. Huh. So, should we talk about uh Yeah, let's talk about the game we actually played. Cool. Well, you could intro it, I think, cuz this uh, was your this was right. your pick sort of. It's been so True. long. We don't even remember. Uh, yeah, so the game we played is the The Ghost of Christmas Blank, um which was a twine game created by uh, my friend Mike Sennett, uh, who is a, was a classmate of mine at USC and actually before that in undergrad as well. Um, and he makes comedy games. And, uh, so he made this Christmas, Christmas themed comedy game. Um, and it's, it's just like a real quick twine game that is also like really funny. Um, the basic premise is that so it's it's retelling the story of um, the Christmas Carol, and uh, in the beginning there's just like some sort of procedural parts and some parts that you can choose. For instance, I just loaded it up just to see what I would get. Um, and the beginning is once there lived a man named Elbel Elbel Snoog. Uh, the, his name is slightly randomized every time. Yeah. Uh, he was an old man and very wealthy indeed. He had amassed a great fortune by, and then you can, uh, you can cycle through, like, the, the options. So, selling the tears of children as a panacea slash condiment. Scowling at people until they gave him money. That's my favorite. Selling, <laughs> selling stale bread to urchins in exchange for their saleable organs. And investing heavily in smog. Oh, there's another one. Procuring a legal monopoly on food. Which I think that one might be my favorite. (laughs) Although investing heavily in smog is also good. They're all good, honestly. I like the condiments. (laughs) Yeah. Orphan tears as a condiment. Um, Yeah, so you go through the opening part, and when you get to uh, the section where it becomes more... um, uh, Like, uh, about the ghosts, like where the, the... you know, ghosts would otherwise come in. Mm-hmm. First off, you get to the, the like, Marley-style ghost, and it's you, the player, and it, like, addresses you in the first person and tells you, like, lets you pick a little about your backstory. Um, but then when you get into, like, the actual uh, ghosts that are summoned, it becomes kind of more like a Pokemon game where you kind of decide what the ghost is that's going to that's gonna come, and uh, the ghost of Christmas blank, you fill in the blank. Um, and you get the ghost to convince Scrooge, uh, to give up his, his ways, um, through a series of, you know, random choices and, ba- and what type of ghost you make. Yep. And he has like, he has like a, a set number of humbug points and you have to like get rid of them. That's basically his HP. Yeah. <laughs> you have to whittle it down. It took me so long to connect that humbug points with HP. <laughs> And I'm slightly embarrassed. That's okay. This is a this is a judgment free zone. We're all fair, kind of. I didn't. Uh, hmm? I didn't connect that until you said it just now. Oh, 
Oh. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny because you just said it. I literally said yes, HP. I just didn't think that. No, yeah, that's actually also the acronym for Humbug Point. Good. Well, there you go. Exactly. See, as I was saying, judgment-free zone. I I am good at games. Uh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it, I mean, it's it's short. It was made for a game jam, so it's uh, you know, there's not too much in there. There's kind of a cute little hidden thing where in each little area that you can go to with the one of the ghosts, there's like a like a secret evil that can get you kicked out of that sooner and then you have to make a new ghost. Um, but it's, I mean, there's not, it's, you, I don't think you can really die. Um, you just, you lose your ghost and you summon a new ghost until you're done and then you get one of three endings. Which are the normal ending, the, like, badass action hero ending, and the, like, future cypunk ending. <laughs> that was a good one. Which is pretty fantastic. And as you as you play, if you play more than once, um, there's a little bit of variation. Like, there's some stuff that gets unlocked uh, as you play more. Um, like, one of the locations isn't available to begin with. It's the, the squared circle. Mm, yeah. Did it, I was going to say, did any of you guys pick that one? I think, yeah. I think I did that, like, once. I, I noticed, like, there's an option that wasn't here. The yeah. first ghost... I'm trying I'm to. I'm gonna pick that. I'm trying to. Yeah. Okay. There we go. I'm trying to like go through it again because all of my progress since the last time is gone. So yeah, I I actually just just unlocked the squared circle. Yeah. Again. So the uh, the so here's the I'm on my um like my first ghost ghost of Christmas tiger, and uh, you have a transience which I think is your HP basically. Um, there's uh spookiness. Sentiment, jollity, and portent. Uh, and so your options. The spirit took the form of a mysterious cloaked figure with a shadowy face, or maybe even no face at all. You can't really tell. A lady, but she's all glowy. A jolly old beardo, like Santa, but not quite. Maybe he's wearing blue instead of red. A creepy child with a real thousand-yard stare. A talking dog! Ha <laughs> ha! A ghost. You know what a ghost looks like. Like a white sheet and circles for the eyes and mouth and it goes, ooh. Or just an orb? Question mark. <laughs> yep. So you pick the, what the, what the ghost looks like. I'm gonna go, um, I'm gonna go creepy child. Um, that ups my spookiness factor. And possibly my sentiment factor as well. I forget what sentiment was at. Um, then the spirit gets to be holding something. Uh, a golden scepter topped with a collection of gemstones shaped to represent tiger, since that is the ghost of Christmas tiger. Uh, a goblet of Christmas wine. A snow globe full of tiny tiger. <laughs> a serious looking scythe. A hand puppet. A tome full of miscellanea regarding Christmas tiger. And my personal favorite, <laughs> another smaller ghost. I like that. Yeah, that's my favorite too. <laughs> the mini ghost, as it is known thereafter. Well, let's go Golden Scepter. And then you choose the voice. So, the spirit laughed, a booming laugh, uh, slapping Snoog on the shoulder and spoke just as boomingly. 
The spirit spoke with a chill grating whisper like the grinding bones of a skeleton turning restlessly in the grave. The spirit spoke clean and mellifluously with the purest voice of voice itself. When the spirit moved its mouth to speak, it made no sound, but Snoog heard its words beautifully sung by a children's chorus. The spirit did not speak. Instead, from its shadows, a half-dozen rats emerged, and from their chittering emerged words. The spirit did not speak. Instead, it pulled out what appeared to be a gravestone upon which a phrase had been inscribed. And the spirit did not speak. Instead, it gesticulated, making motions broad yet focused, which conveyed me- more which conveyed meaning more precisely than any words. I should mention that Mike clearly went through a lot of effort to also emulate the writing style of, like, the original uh, yeah, um, Christmas Carol. So some of it's a little verbose. A little? Yeah, it works. Uh, let's see. I think it's appropriate since we chose the child... To, to be the one that sings in a children's chorus voice. Um, I think, I'm, I'm not sure if... Yeah, I'm missing some of these. So this is the first playthrough version. In the in successive playthroughs, there are additional options. But your first three choices of where to go are the graveyard at dusk, uh, the family residence, and the schoolhouse. And um, different things happen at each place. And then if you play again, you get more places and so on. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Ghost of Christmas Tiger, a choir-voiced creepy child with a scepter. <laughs> Anyway. It's good because of Christmas cash-ins, and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. There's also an option if you don't want to pick Ghost of Christmas, you know, whatever. Um, You can just let it pick for you. So uh, I've had Ghost of Christmas shoes, uh, Ghost of Christmas music, and Ghost of Christmas funny hats. Yeah, I've had the funny hats. I'm currently on the Ghost of Christmas ghosts. Awesome. Which feels appropriate. Does it also have a mini ghost? Uh, no, I gave it a sight. I, I, I was like clicking oh. through them randomly. Hang on, let me see if I can go back. Yeah, I can go back. Okay. Uh, a snow globe or a smaller ghost? Yeah, do the smaller ghost and see what the full title is. Is it like a, a ghost, a ghostly ghost of ghost with a mini ghost? Hang on, I'm, 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 I'm altering my, uh, uh, you what, care. what what voice should I should I give it? Um, it needs to be spooky. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I, I I'm tempted the one with the rats, with the or, rats. Uh, or or the or the um didn't doesn't say anything but has a gravestone. All right. No, the spirit spoke with a shield grating whisper. Oh, a whisper. Okay. Where's yeah, fair. Oh, there it is. Okay, the ghost. <laughs> The ghost of Christmas ghosts, a whisper-voiced spooky ghost with a mini ghost. <laughs> uh, my stats are spookiness 25, sentiment 15, jollity 10, and portent 30. Ooh, very portentous ghost. Yeah. <laughs> you, can be, you can spook the hell out of him with that. And so there is a little bit of strategy you can do. Like, if you make a portentous ghost and go to the graveyard, you have a lot of opportunity to attack using your portent stat. Um, whereas, like, you can also attack with the jollity stat in other scenarios if you've, you know, boosted up your jollity a bunch. But mostly it's just a kind of, like, try and see all the all the fun text. Yeah, I actually basically just assumed that the <laughs> that the stats were randomized, 
and didn't do anything, uh, which is great. <laughs> I mean, it works just as well. Yeah. Let's see. Pretty much. Uh, I just got the Ghost of Christmas Snakes. Nice. That's not, that's not a ghost you want visiting you. I mean, I did pretty much everything that sounded funny. The Ghost and of Christmas Mawkish. Tried, tried to make funny ghost names that would end up in funny sentences later on. Which I, I feel like is essentially the point of this game. Yep. Alright, well, the, uh, we actually have the opportunity to have a secret super special guest on this podcast, Yay. uh, episode. So now might be the time to see if we can, uh, summon the ghost of Christmas Game Dev, um, <laughs> and see if we can get him on the line. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's try. Let's all join our, our hands together and chant. Okay. <laughs> Okay, that was super spooky, and we have now summoned the presence of Mike Sennett. Mike, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure, sure. I'll try to keep it, you know, not too spooky as to not, you know, scar the audience for all time. Thank um, you. So, yeah, I'll keep it straightforward. Hi, um, my name is Mike Sennett, and a few years back I made a game called The Ghosts of Christmas Blank. Um, I'm currently working on another game called Astronaut the Best, which will be out, you know, at some point in the future. But, um, yeah, I'm here to talk about this other one. Yeah. Excellent. Happy, uh, happy well after Christmas, everyone. <laughs> yep. Ha- happy You're not going to mention that. <laughs> it's, it's a way, it's a way of us to have, like, some good short-term nostalgia. God, you guys remember, like, Two and a half weeks ago, wasn't that great? I think um, I think the puppy's barking downstairs. So if you hear that, uh, sorry. That's okay. Um, so Mike, do you want to give us the, a little bit of the like backstory for how this game came about? I was sort of intentionally vague about it when we uh, had our intro section. So sure, sure. Um, it's not a particularly complex story. Uh, I believe it was 2014. I want to say. Maybe that sounds good. Um, my uh, friend Teddy Deep was putting together a Christmas uh, bundle for uh, charity. So, you know, like a pay-what-you-want style bundle of Christmas-themed games that would go to some charity, which I can't remember at the moment. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I decided, you know, I've been working on kind of a mechanics-heavy game that wasn't going super well, so... Um, I decided to try, you know, uh, this whole twine thing, which I hadn't really ever done in earnest, and make a text adventure and kind of, you know, go into it without really any preconceptions of what the game would be. <laughs> Just try to start writing and see what happened. Um, and that's what came out. Nice. So, like, were all the games for that bundle, like, made right there? Were there any pre-existing Christmas-themed games? <laughs> you know, I... I'm not sure. I didn't have the inside info on that one. It's possible that some people snuck them in, but I, I remember the purpose was kind of to have a um, a bit of like you know a game jam style atmosphere for it, where people had you know a few weeks to make something, in kind of a 
celebratory manner. So that that actually like makes me brings me sort of to like one of the first because I did actually write down some questions because you know me I take oh. notes like that. Yeah, you're, um, the most, you're the most together person on this podcast. You're <laughs> the good one. Yeah. I'm glad to have I around. It's not a lot of questions. It's like three questions. <laughs> so don't like don't get too carried away with how like not that together um but anyway right. um, well that that's good because this summoning is only good for three questions <laughs> yes uh <laughs> fantastic um okay <clears throat> that worked out well um so question one is just for the group um why aren't there more like holiday themed games right like that's a thing in in like for movies and movies are also like expensive and hard to make but, like, there's a ton of, like, Christmas movies, and there's, like, no Christmas games. Well, that's the thing. I, I feel like there are Christmas games. They just exist within, like, Flash ga- like Flash <laughs> browser games. That might be true. I'd love I'd love to see, a, like, a compiled list. Because I know, I know at least yeah. of, like, of elf bowling, which was a big thing <laughs> at one point. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it still is. And it's just a bowling game with a Christmas skin on it. Like, uh, okay. It feels like I've, I've seen a lot of games with Christmas, like, DLC, basically. I remember back in the day of Sega Saturn, Nights into Dreams had, like, a special Christmas version of the game where they just reskinned everything in a Christmassy way and, like, gave it out for free. Did Sega um, Saturn have, like, that was pre-internet connection of consoles. Yeah, totally. They actually gave people like a disc that had the game <laughs> for free, like as a festive Christmas cheer thing. That's really um, nice. Good job. But yeah, yeah. Beyond some, um, you know, DLC things, you think at least that there are some games that like would try to have their cake and eat it too and pull like a diehard thing and make it like you know Christmassy but not too Christmassy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it can just it can function as a Christmas thing, but it doesn't have to. Right, right. I yeah. guess, I guess, talking of DLC, like, a lot of games do have, like, Christmas packs that, for, like, character skins and stuff. Like, I'm sure Overwatch has probably done that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, like, pretty much every MMO that I've played, well, maybe not every, but most of the MMOs that I've played have Christmas events. Like, obviously, World of Warcraft has Wintervale, and, uh... I played The Secret World for a while, and they had a thing where, like, Krampuses would randomly spawn throughout the world, uh, and you would, like, go into a special Krampus boss fight, and they they were just, they were just freaking everywhere in the world, and I'd be, like, running around, like, there's another Krampus. Um, I think Killing Floor does some pretty heavy Christmas theming around, around the holiday time, if I recall correctly. I never really played Killing Floor, I just have seen it around them, like the holiday did, massacre or something. I Yeah, I did play a, uh, a Christmas-themed DLC for Borderlands 2 as well, where you're like, um, God, what are you, you're like trying to, it's not that Christmassy, it's like loosely Christmas-themed, but you're like trying to steal a truck of weapons from a town full of orphans or something, I don't know. It's That game is weird. Huh. Can I counter with a question? Sure. Do anyone actually like Christmas movies? <laughs> there are some people. There, there's a not insignificant demographic of people. I mean, I, I just thinking about it, like, I don't know if 
there might be like a small overlap with people who like video games. It might be some <laughs> demographic fluke where, you know, people who like video games mostly being, you know, younger and edgier don't have room in their hearts for traditional <laughs> holiday, you know, uh, trappings. Well, but see, there, there's the thing. There's been sort of an uptick, uh, in, in Christmas horror movies. Like, like there was a Krampus movie not too long ago that I think was actually supposed to be pretty good. And one of my favorite Christmas movies actually is uh, Rare Exports, which is like a, a Finnish Christmas horror, also about Krampus, but not like Krampus is sort of your go-to Christmas horror. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I don't. Maybe maybe they're trying to get that demographic, the the young edgy uh, Christmas gamer. Yeah, I feel like maybe people like Christmas movies because a lot of people have. Uh, just like positive memories and associations and like routines associated with Christmas movies. Like, oh yeah, like my family watches It's a Wonderful Life like every year on Christmas Day or something like that. And maybe just like video games have not had a chance to really form up those kinds of traditions much yet because they've only been around like yeah. a generation or so. Yeah. You know, and that, that's sort of something else that I would feel remiss to not say, which is that, you know, a lot of Christmas movies are very, um, like, deliberately positive. They're trying to, like, you know, set a real life-affirming tone about, you know, the true meaning of Christmas and appreciating what you have and family and togetherness and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, like, I, I, I will defend It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Carol and things like that. It's a valuable feeling to have, but it's also a feeling that can be tough to put into many video games, especially <laughs> ones with like mechanics such as running, gunning, and platforming, it's a little difficult to do family togetherness in that like setting. And you can, you can, but you know, it would take some mechanical experimentation or you know, dabbling in Viznov adventure game stylings or something like that to you know, for a game to be about Christmas and what Christmas means. I mean. Some Christmas movies are more tied to that kind of theme than other, but that's fair. I mean, Christmas horror themes, for, or horror movies. Yeah, yeah, there are also any number of a bunch of, like, you know, cash-in Christmas movies that are just sort of, like, rom-coms randomly generated. Or, or, like, or like, you know, the, the yearly uh, CG animated Christmas movie for kids. Right. This year there was one about, like... The camels uh, at the uh, birth of Jesus. Was there? Yeah, there was a movie that came out about camels that was like 3D CG thing. That it looked real bad. Interesting. There were a lot of animals at the birth of Jesus, and each one of them is an opportunity for a franchise. Yeah, (laughs) it's true. (laughs) Just keep churning them out. Just have to give them names. Yeah. If you name them, they're your intellectual property. <laughs> That's how it works. Um, God, what was even the name of that? If I just search camel movie, will I find it? Um, no. Nope. <laughs> I know there's, uh, there's one. I don't know if it's... Uh, let me Google it really quick. Uh, there's like The a... Star. It was called The Star. Oh. oh. There was um, a... 
I think it was like produced and distributed by some like religious media company. And I don't know if it was necessarily Christmas themed, but I know there was one about like a donkey in in ye olde Jesus times. Uh and I've been I've been wanting to get my hands on a copy of it because it looks so bad. Um, where I actually went to the company's website and you can get copies of it, but they're like, okay, look, we'll give you 10 copies for your like religious organization to distribute. And I'm like, man, I need a religious organization. Oh, nice. If Damn. you ever wanted an excuse to start a cult, then there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, I mean, tell them that you, you have a religiously themed podcast that really needs it. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Apologies. Somebody. Really cool. Just passed by my window. It's okay. My 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 mom has started practicing the piano downstairs, so I don't know if you are hearing that as well. No, like, I don't think so. Okay. We'll see if it we'll see if it picks up. But all right, I'll be quicker on the mute button next time. Yeah. <laughs> so it's I mean, okay. I mean, there have been times where I've had like freaking jet planes just like flying overhead. So that was during uh, a yeah. seafare. So that was great. Yeah. Um and also you have not you have not yet heard uh Kelso's cat, but oh, yeah. she's what probably he? nearby. Oh he's asleep on the bed. Or he he's probably nearby. Yeah, he's he's asleep. Um, I bet he's adorable when he's, he's sleeping. Fun. Anyway. He's really cute. Um so for just just as a small backtrack, uh for what it's worth, um Oprah Winfrey Winfrey voices one of the camels in the star. Oh. Just just so you know. Huh. That's a thing, but he's that's a thing. Yep, that's a thing. That does sound life affirming. Um, but like, weirdly enough, so I feel like Borderlands does have a DLC that is kind of life affirming and about family, but it's not the Christmas one. Yeah, it's the it's the Dungeons and Dragons one of all things. Oh. Um, that makes fun. sense. Yeah. Because Christmas is sort of something where, especially if you're kind of like, you know, on the cool side, like Borderlands, it's difficult to, you know, it takes some bravery to appreciate, to approach it with, you know, complete earnestness and guilelessness. Whereas yeah. something with, like D&D, it's kind of inverting it and being clever to make it about heartwarming stuff. Yeah, it's a pr- it's already a pretty, like, cynical and, uh, and like, you know, elbowing you kind of winky winky franchise to begin with. So like, it's not good at the just straightforward earnest emotion. Yeah. Um, do you feel, do you feel that your game, your twine game is uh, full of straightforward earnest emotion? Well, you know, um, that's a good question. It's full of straightforward something. Um, <laughs> I think, I, I think it's a joyful work. Um, I certainly, you know, uh, it was mostly me trying to write, it was basically me not having read A Christmas Carol in a long time, but kind of vaguely remembering, like, what Dickens' narrative voice sounded like, trying to recreate that, um, and things kind of spiraling out of control a little bit, but, you know, I, I wanted for the player to be able to, um, like, to put the player in a position where they would really want to help this guy out. <laughs> where, you know, it was sort of like a, you know, pretty weird world, but the player would legitimately, you know, have the means to make a difference 
and to to make this Christmas improve. Even though you know it's so yeah, you know, there's a lot of not quite straightforward humor and stuff in the game. Um, but I wanted the player to be able to play it in earnest and like to really you know try to make a good Christmas and for that to work out. And you know, the player can also like choose to screw around to no end and to like you know do whatever they want and see what happens but you know i wanted it to be possible to play it earnestly and to appreciate it earnestly i was gonna say it's it's kind of like not possible to make it a bad christmas Um, (laughs) i guess you can rage quit (laughs) i've decided that this christmas is just gonna stay terrible i'm not fixing it this christmas is not worth the effort (laughs) <laughs> I guess if you really wanted to, you could just, like, in the one text field it gives you where it asks you to write your ghost's name, you could just write a whole new story and give it as crappy an ending as you want. <laughs> Is there not a character limit to that at some point? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's... Probably something in the Twine documentation. Let's try it out. <laughs> oh, are you going to just pull down a key and see? Yeah, um, uh, it's the ghost of Christmas infinite P. Because I guess <laughs> P was what I landed on, so. Yep. Uh, infinite it, P would get a, would be a horrible ghost to get for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's, you know, one afterlife interpretation. I mean, it appears that it is still inputting. That's so. one of the. That's one of the. That's one of the circles in Dante's Inferno, right? Well, it, yeah, yeah, I think so. That sounds right. Um. All right. Question two. Why is procedural generation so funny? <laughs> that's an interesting question. Um, because I mean, it's just. It is literally just a bunch of random nonsense for the most part. I mean, obviously, in your case, it's like handcrafted nonsense, but, like, it's still, like, even when you procedurally generate random names, they usually tend to be pretty damn funny. Yeah, so I think there's a couple different parts of that. I think, specifically, um, the fact that the names are procedurally generated is, like, a testament to Dickens, that anything that kind of sounds like Ebenezer Scrooge is recognizable as Ebenezer Scrooge. So, like, I couldn't really decide on, you know, a fake Scrooge name without it sounding hacky, so I just decided to, you know, potentially gaslight the, like, player and, um, you know, make it so that everybody who played would have a slightly different, like, knockoff Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, First, okay, for case in point, I'm just going to refresh a couple times and read some of the random ones. Uh, e- Ebenezer Schroge. Okay. Um, Ebenezer Snoog. <laughs> uh, Abelnuser Fluge. Oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. Uh, Ibunealer Schroge. Sh- <laughs> um... Obel Nieper Shrug. <laughs> that one is a stretch. Excellent. Um, the, uh, so, sorry, go on. 
Oh, I, I was going to switch things up and go to sort of the more general answer to your question. So if there's anything else name-specific, then... <laughs> yeah, no, I was just thinking that this is a lot like... There's a there's a game that Tumblr played for a while, which was how far off can you get from Benedict Cumberbatch's name and still have it recognizably be Benedict Cumberbatch? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but anyway. Yeah, so more generally, I think, um, I don't know. I, I guess it's kind of getting into humor theory where, like, any humor theory instantly wrecks humor, but <laughs> I've always liked procedurally generated stuff because it's surprising and because it kind of creates unexpected juxtapositions um, where, you know, like, there's something where computers are almost better at, like, random, wacky humor than humans, because humans can tend to overthink it and try too hard, whereas humans, or whereas computers can legitimately just, like, without bias or guile, put a bunch of things next to each other, and humans are pretty good at finding patterns and can, like, pick out the parts that are really weird um, and laugh at them. And, you know, so, just, like, and it's always kind of been there from the beginning of procedural logic, like, or I guess procedural games, like, um, Dwarf Fortress has, you know, many great comedy stories, and even something like, um, you know, I did a lot of academic work about procedural narrative, and some of the early attempts at, uh, computer storytelling systems were pretty hilarious. Oh, yeah. I have, like, now I have vague recollections of you giving a presentation about that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There were just a bunch of, you know, early character-based logic stories that weren't quite stories, where characters did things you wouldn't expect, or, you know, uh, I just remember one about, like, somebody... There was, like, a brief story about somebody who did something bad. It was, like, a five-sentence story, and then the third sentence was that they went to jail, and then the fourth sentence was... Because they went to jail, they experienced bruises. And then <laughs> they were sad. Um, and that was like a real, you know. Yeah, the more you, the more you talk about this, the more, I, the, more I'm t the more you talk about this, the more this is coming back to me. Because the whole point was that like each sentence had to follow logically from yeah. as a consequence of the previous sentence. Right, right. And that was how you tell stories. And the weird thing is, the attempts to actually get computers to tell jokes, like conventionally structured jokes, have largely been disasters. Um, it's hard. So, you know, the, the trick is just picking one spots, <laughs> I suppose, like the yeah. right amount of procedurally generated nonsense. Or, you know, trying to put it in into a game or into some sort of interactive work in sort of an unexpected place or, like, you know, a place where the user has some uh, some input and some say, too, where they can kind of uh, craft what the computer gives them and kind of make it, you know, pick up a narrative and run with it. And one thing I will say about uh, your, ga your procedural games generally <clears throat> is that I think you've shown well that uh, procedurality is also tends to be more effective if there are funny things that if the building blocks themselves are funny. Right, because the the totally built building uh, is generally funny, even with randomness. But if the building blocks are also funny, then the final result can be even better. Yes, that's true. And and again, um, 
you know, this is something that we've been trying to find the right balance with with Astronaut the Best is how much to just make, you know, the random traits that astronauts can have be, like, ultra-specific jokes versus, like, whether having them be more general causes it to, you know, be more of an interesting juxtaposition with other things or, you know, it's definitely a balance that you have to try to find. The optimal, optimal procedural humor formula. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, I suppose that's, I have spent, like, a portion of my career just doing that. <laughs> that is your life's mission. <clears throat> not, not, not on purpose one, but <laughs> maybe a life side quest. This whole conversation just reminds me of um, the the neural network that they fed cookbooks to and the recipes oh God, yeah. that, it, that it generated. Like, I think my favorite one is, like, Swamp Peef. Was one of the <laughs> recipe titles, or, or, like, what was the other one? There was one that was like a circle made completely out of meat, or something. Yeah, yes. that website is great. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but is this the is this the same group that did the one with the uh, procedural color names? Yeah, it had procedural swatches. I think it might have had procedural D and D spells at one point. There's there's a lot of really. Oh good stuff. yeah, I read the procedural D and D spells. Some of those were really great. I haven't seen those. And then uh, one of my friends posted like this is like last Christmas, um, like the first Christmas Carol ever written by a computer, and it was uh, it was something, man. Let me tell you. Also, for the record, I'm still. Uh, inputting peas, and it's not showing any signs that it's going to stop me. So, <laughs> so, try and input it as well. So you could, yeah, see what that looks like on the next page. Yeah, yeah. You could also do like Control A, Control C, so that you have you know that many peas. Oh uh, yeah, I should have done that. Up. Well, that's fine. Did it work out? It, uh, yeah, it it goes off the page. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So it's just a, a long horizontal line of peas. Because I wasn't sure if, if I was going to end up with that, or if I was going to end up with with it, like, going off the bottom of the page. So, yeah, if it would so, text wrap or not. Yeah, if it would wrap or not. Well, I feel like I've done my job as a game designer offering players interesting decisions with consequences. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, thinking back to Generation, I was thinking, does... Does it work as well if the player doesn't know that it's generated and, like, only see it once? Or does it work because it's, you see it multiple times? That's an interesting question. I don't know. I think the name Obelneeper Shrug is, is pretty great on its own. <laughs> yes, that that is indeed something that I probably couldn't have just, like, written. Or I could have, but then I would have thought it was dumb and not written it. <laughs> um, so I, I think, um, you know, one of the cool things about it is definitely that it instills a feeling of curiosity and exploration, and it's almost kind of like wanting to explore an open world game, where you're, like, kind of want to explore, like, how this works and what sort of weird stuff you can get out of it. Um, so it, it, it's, yeah, it's difficult to decouple that from just, like, the feeling. I guess it would be pretty easy to like do 
a scientific experiment and tell some people that a thing is procedurally generated and then tell other people, like, this is a thing that I wrote. Um, but, you know, honestly, that reminds me of um, my under ah, my graduate thesis project, um, which Kyla also uh, worked on, was a game called Quicksilver Infinite Story. That um, it, it was a procedurally generated brawler that whenever you play, it would just make up a new episode of, like, a Saturday morning cartoon show, and it would write, like, all new characters and all new dialogue and everything for, for that episode of the show. Um, not all not all new main characters. They were all right, episodes yes. from the same show. Yes, But, exactly. like, uh, yeah. all new, yeah. like, NPCs that you would meet and... A new uh, town and, and yeah. new, you know, that they visited and stuff like that. So Temporary um, throwaway bad guys for that episode. Yeah, yeah. So, um... It was definitely the sort of thing where when we just, like, the the version one of the game, basically, um, it didn't do a lot to tell people that it was procedurally generated or to really take advantage of the procedural generation in any way. It was just kind of a normal brawler with this sort of procedurally generated story on top of it. And so when we showed it to people, they mostly just thought that it was just, like, you know, a brawler with a crappy story. <laughs> um, right, and so it wasn't it wasn't very successful um, to say the least. So that was why you know the bulk of the work that I did for my thesis was trying to really um, like celebrate the procedural generation aspect of it to try to think of all the cool things that you could only do with procedural generation that you couldn't do if you actually wrote the game, and to try to draw attention to the procedural generation by having like by basically, like, personifying it and having this dragon character who, like, you know, would write a new episode when you pressed a button and stuff like that. And um, when we did that, it made a huge difference to players' experiences and their appreciation of it. So, um, yeah, overall, I think that, you know, knowing that something's procedural and kind of curiosity about how it works and um, it is a big part of, you know, why you would do a procedural thing, you know, like it's not really a labor-saving device in, in most cases. That being said, um, part of the research for that story uh, was such that you, like, did some investigation into actual Saturday morning cartoon shows to use as building blocks for those stories, and they weren't, Indeed. like, substantially better. <laughs> no, that was that was fun research. I... I and possibly the only published academic paper to have Mega Man the Animated Series and Mighty Max and Thundercats in uh, my list of, like, cited works. Okay, um, but did you include Street Sharks? No, I, I tried. I really tried to narrow it down to That's ones fair. that were just... had really great, like, Wikipedia episode synopses. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes, that makes a whole lot more sense. <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't think the Street Shark community is particularly rigorous in that respect, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not as many... You know, it, it only takes one person who really likes a TV show and wants to make sure that the Wikipedia article just has the utmost accuracy and detail. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you... Mike, do you remember the examples from that slide from your presentation? I could bring it up. Um, I remember one was my favorite episode of Mega Man the Animated Series. Um, do, you, uh, do you want me to, like, was, intro what this slide was while you look for it? Oh, uh, I believe this slide... Uh, oh, yes, yes. So this slide was, um... It was a bunch of, um... You know, episode synopses, and it was 
can you guess which ones are written by computers and which ones are written by humans? Um, and then it was generally hard for people to tell. And then the next slide was surprised they were all written by humans. Um, <laughs> and Dastardly. for example, the one from Mega Man the Animated Series is one that, from what I gather, like Mega Man fans were rather angry with this episode because they thought it didn't really cue to the Mega Man canon. Um, but it's one where there's a meteor from space that causes these lions to start appearing. And the, they were like lion mummies. And these lion mummies, like, shoot laser beams from their eyes that, like, turn people into lions. I have a gif of that. <laughs> and I have never yeah. known the origin of it. That's, like, in my gif collection. Oh, right. That's so, good to know. Like, a good half of this episode is just lions shooting lasers out of their eyes and turning people into lions. And, um... A lot of the rest is, like, recycled footage of Mega Man in a helicopter that they show a lot to kind of pad it out. Um, and, yeah, you know, if, if you're seven, I was, like, you know, the appropriate age to find it a really tense viewing experience when I when I first saw it. And how are they going to defeat these lions if they have laser beams that turn people into lions? But, um, you know, it really, the synopsis quite sounds like a Mad Lib. Um, <laughs> really does. But yeah, the gimmick of that slide was there were basically like four or five examples of that caliber on the slide <laughs> to, to kind of prove the point that like, you know, sometimes people don't come up with great ideas either. Well, but sometimes people's ideas huge of formulas. Mm-hmm. Like if people's work gets too formulaic, then it risks being replaceable by a computer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> Maybe a slightly less cynical way. Uh, or slightly more cynical, depending on your point of view. Yeah, I remember after I gave that presentation in grad school, somebody um, asked me, like, they raised their hand. They were, like, a critical studies student who raised their hand and asked, like, um, are you concerned that the work you're doing in computer storytelling will, like, bring about the singularity and the robot apocalypse? And I said, like, that is the nicest question anybody's ever asked. (laughs) (laughs) That that is giving me far too much credit. We can only hope. I was going to say, we can all only dream of bringing about the robot apocalypse. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Um, Although, that's, I think about that sort of thing a lot more watching the speedruns on AGDQ, but that's, uh, (laughs) <laughs> That's neither here nor there. Um, let's see. Was there anything anything else that people wanted to comment on on procedurality? I am not smart enough to come up with questions, so regarding <laughs> procedural generation, at least. <laughs> I I enjoy it as a thing. I mean, it's so. The, I mean, the main problem with procedural generality or procedural generation, rather, is. Um, if it's not done well, in and depending on where it's used, it can give things a sort of soulless feeling. Um, yeah. If it's not done right, right, because like that was one of my main. Um, so those of you who like, you know, regularly watch me stream and or are in any uh, like end defender chats that involve Huck knows know that he plays Warframe like basically constantly. 
um, and is always trying to get me to play as well. And one of the main reasons I couldn't pick up that game is that the levels are procedurally generated. And there's something about that after, like, the fourth or fifth time that starts to feel really dead in terms of spatial design. And I feel like the same thing can definitely happen for stories, is if if people see the something too often, often enough that they can start to see it as a pattern, it, like, immediately loses the novelty that makes procedural gener- generation, like, fun and, and wacky and cool. Yeah, and, and here I'll... Um... I'll say that if you can flip it and make it a, a positive that you recognize as a pattern instead of a negative, then it can still work. I guess the canonical example of that being Spelunky, as far as level design goes, where it's, you know, the levels are all essentially procedurally generated. They're all a bunch of, um, you know, pieces that are assembled um, according to certain rules to create a level. But um, it's a sort of challenging game where, recognizing how those pieces are assembled is essentially how you get good at the game, and so it becomes kind of exciting and cool to recognize those patterns. Yeah, that's fair. That seems reasonable. But yeah, I definitely get what you're saying, that um, if you rely on procedural writing, especially as a labor-saving device, it can definitely have a solace feel. My usual litmus test is names. Like, you can't really do procedural names by just combining letters or combining, like, a list of common names because you just end up with a bunch of things that sound either not like names at all or, like, super generic things. And, you know, one in a hundred might be, like, entertaining. So, you know, you got to take some sort of extra step to give it a little bit of a vibe or a little bit of a soul. Um, I remember with Quicksilver... I just, like, I made it by taking sort of common names and then, like, changing a letter or two to make them weird, because that seemed to have, like, the right sort of, like, quasi-anime feel. Um, and then with Astronaut the Best, we're trying to make, like, proper-sounding British names by just, like, taking some, you know, British-sounding words and then combining, like, two or three of them to make a last name, such as, you know, like, um... Sports Mound. Or, um, let's we'll see. Think, Sam. Yeah, yes. Um, yeah, Horsington, etc. You know, things that sound... Try, trying to, again, get it in that range of, like, where it feels like it has some life, but not that it... Not that you're gonna get, like, you know, five people in a row named, like, Horse Mouth and Horsington and etc. because we think horses are really funny. Or, you know, trying not to get it too ultra-specific like that. Yeah, that seems fair. All right, final question, which is sort of the same question, but more general, um, which is, what do you think is important to consider, uh, or what are the most important factors to consider when making a humor game? Because hmm. you, like... That's most mostly what you have done with uh, your game career so far is make comedy games, and you are a a fan and a connoisseur of comedy, uh, right. which is always a difficult thing to analyze. Granted. Yeah, yeah. But what I do mean, you like? What approach do you have for when you decide to you know start a new game and you want to make a comedy game? Like, what what do you think about? Um. 
So, you know, I guess maximum generality, I suppose my advice would be believe in yourself. Um, <laughs> because everybody has their own sense of humor, and you kind of never really know how many other people think what you find is funny funny. But if you make a game where it's things that you find are really funny, then, you know, chances are at least somebody else will, will like it. Um, you know, just so subjective like that. But, um, yeah, it, it's... It's actually kind of raises an interesting point in my game design career where, um, so I'm currently working with my friend David Mershon, um, on Astronaut the Best, and, um, we had to change our mode of thinking of games because, um, we previously would try to make games by thinking of a really funny idea and then trying to build a game around it. So, you know, our, our, one that we still, our white whale that we still want to make someday is a game called Uncle Knows Best, which is about, you know, a, um, an, uh, an ex-government brainwasher who, um, has a nephew who's just a real loser and wants to help him out at high school by getting a job there as a guidance counselor and, you know, trying to brainwash everybody else to set this kid up for success. Um, which is an idea that we can really pitch successfully, like, people are pretty excited about the game, but the problem is that then the process of making the game is trying to design systems that can support and live up to the premise, and it means that the actual work of the game is, like, sort of stressful. But, if we come up with a system that makes sense and kind of a game that works, like, Astronaut the Best started as just, um, you know, um, let's make a game about running a space program and how it's difficult to find the right people. Um, and at first I was like, that that's, that sounds very dry. That doesn't sound very exciting at all. But that made the process of it, since we had that solid base, the process of working on the game just became, let's think of as many funny jokes and weird ideas as we can and put them into this rather dry system to like liven it up. Um, and it turns out that's a much more fun way to work. That is that is good and valuable advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, starting with the foundation, and then yeah, you want to work you want to work up to the humor, not work down from the humor. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're you know really certain that it's a good joke, <laughs> or like you know, if you're if you're willing to make an entire game to support one punchline, then. You know, that can be a valuable thing, too, but then I wouldn't recommend making the game more than, like, five minutes. Well, I mean, we we basically had that discussion when we played uh, Dream Daddy for the stream. Yeah. It was, like, it's it's a funny premise, but, like, the act of playing it kind of doesn't live up to the, like, one-note joke of the premise. Right. And, yeah, I believe what, you know, the tax they tried to take was by um, making it you know, more deep and touching and things like that than it seemed to, 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 you know, support it after the joke had worn off. Yeah. With with varying success. We had, like, mixed feelings on that from what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Any, any like, funny games that you want to recommend personally or, like, humor that you think is really great in games? Good examples? Oh, man. That's a good question. Let me look this up. Um, Do you have a list somewhere? 
I'm, I was just going to look through my Steam library. Yeah, um, honestly, honestly, that would be really helpful for me, because right now I'm playing Prey and Quantum Break, and those are pretty dire games. That's <laughs> true. Well, you, I know you were telling me the other day, Mike, about the, the Yakuza series and how much you uh, like yeah. those games. Oh, yeah, I, I am a big fan of, um, you know, sort of the... Yeah, in terms of weird juxtapositions, the Yakuza series is absolutely fantastic. Where it's so, like, it's, I don't know, like, Christmassy, for lack of a better word, to try to bring things around. <laughs> it's just so, like, warm-hearted and stuff. It's all about, like, being a Yakuza is about helping people. It's about protecting the town and trying to, like, you know, make things work out for everyone. And you take a bit of protection money, but that's so that you can maintain the upkeep of your operation and really just make things faster. Yeah, like, don't, don't, don't pay oh. attention to all of the, all of the beating people up and stealing their stuff. Just here, take this orphan. Yeah. And buy absolutely. her a cheeseburger. Like, yeah. There's somebody who's like menacing an old lady and you're like, hey, that's not the Yakuza way. <laughs> then you just try to, you know, help everybody and, so, yeah, it, it creates some pretty great moments where you just, like, beat the absolute crap out of somebody by, like, hitting them with a, you know, with, like, a hammer and then using a special move to, like, rip one of their teeth out with pliers or something. And then, like, they just get up at the end and they're absolutely fine. And they're like, I really apologize for my behavior. Here, have a soda. And, like... <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know to what extent those games are... I think they are supposed to be humorous, I think. Yeah. They, they have, like, a sort of breezy tone. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm a huge fan of those games and, you know, other things that where the humor is semi-on-purpose, like, um, you know, Deadly Premonition. I'd even put Danganronpa into that category. Um, let's see. Um, I'm, I'm Humor-wise, like, I think the most I've laughed at the game is probably like Fallen London, I guess, slash like Sun of the Sea, which is not overall a humorous tone, but like some of the asides and some of the writing is just really clever. Um, and so I, I definitely appreciate those. I think um, for what it's worth, I've heard great things about West of Loathing, and it's currently next on my list of games to play. Um, but I have not actually played that one yet. If you like that kind of humor, it's kind of funny. Cool. That That is a strong recommendation. <laughs> um, looking at my Steam recommendation, um, I mean, Undertale was really funny. I think it kind of gets... That was the pushed, one that came to my mind as well. Yeah, I think it gets pushed aside because people, like, have such strong feelings about Undertale being, like, you know, like, a moral compass of all that is good in the universe or, like, push back against those people. And, it, you know, if, if you're able to ignore all that, then, like, the actual, you know, writing in the game has some some just, like, really solid, like, setups and punchlines and jokes. Yeah, I, I actually replayed Undertale pretty recently, and I was I was surprised at just a lot of the general dialogue, how, how funny I found it. Even after having already played it, Multiple times for this podcast. Uh, yeah, Undertale's good. I like it. Yeah, it has it has a 
it was the humor that first like won me onto Undertale's side because uh, I, it's it's hard for me to remember a time when I wasn't a hundred percent bored on board with Undertale. Um, but when we first started that, I was not a hundred percent on board with Undertale because I like I have an in like a deeply ingrained innate distrust of morality mechanics at this point. Um, and so I was like approached it very cynically and was ready to be like kind of eye rolling about it. But it was a few of the little humor touches that like really got me to like open up to it. Um, the, the one that comes to mind is the date scene with Papyrus yeah. as the first major moment where it's like, what the fuck is even this game? It's adorable. Yes, the the UI, the, the dating UI that comes yeah, in. Like just pretty much, that, that was pretty much the moment where I was sold on Undertale. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It has some real, real good jokes. That and there's um, there's a thing in Alphys's lab that it, it's a small joke, but I laughed just so hard. Where there's, if you go upstairs, there's like a big cube in the corner. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like if you, this bed conveniently folds up into an easy to draw cube. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was great. So that's a good one. Um, let's see. I suppose, um, let's see, thinking about it, I also recently played Nier Automata, and that is a game that is not overall a humorous tone, but has some really funny moments in it, just really, like, just tries to, when there's a character that you run into, is like, why not make this character a really weird character? Let's just, like, try to put some life into there where we can. Yeah, and from what I've seen, the robots have a lot of a lot of uh, individuality to them. Yeah, yeah. God, I really need to play Automata. I loved and, the first yeah. game, so. Oh, good, good. I'm, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm an evangelist of the first in your game. Yeah, yeah. Mike, Mike has actually currently lent me his copy of the first game, and I'm getting through it. Uh, and I am. <laughs> I am good not... choice of words. That's not you know indicative of. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's... <sighs> Let's move on. <laughs> I mean, okay. Yeah, we can talk about that in one of our <laughs> other podcast intros. It's, it's fine. There are things I like a lot about it. Um, there's there's one or two things I have big problems with that don't need to be talked about here. It's, it's, it's definitely certainly. not a perfect game, for sure. Um but it has enough to recommend it I, I, if you're into that kind of stuff that it excels at, I think. And my ex... Yeah, I, w- I let my ex borrow my copy and he never gave it back. <sighs> it's a bummer. Anyway. Um, but there's there's a, there's a also... We, we just recently had the, uh, you know, AGDQ with the awful games block, which introduces the, like, funny because it's terrible. Um, oh, yes. Of- I didn't. I, I didn't want to go there because of you know like, you know propriety. <laughs> yeah, like I'm I'm a you know I'm, I'm I'm a game designer myself now, so so I don't know how much I can afford to chat trash about you know other games. But yes, the awful games done quick walk is is excellent. Um, yeah, we sort of alluded to in the in our intro section. We alluded to the Arabian Nights playthrough. Yes. Did you end up watching that one? I did. Yeah, that one, that was my favorite one of this year. That game, there are just some special circumstances that must have come together to create that game. 
Yeah, it seems like the special circumstances were, shoot, Prince of Persia is really popular. Can we make a game with a similar enough name that people will mistakenly think this is it and buy this instead? Yeah, and it had, like, I'm imagining it's a game that there are, like, Ebony Online-style, like, sexy ads for, because in the loading screens, like, when a level is loading, the game minimizes, and instead there's, like, an Ebony Online-style sexy ad for the next level. Yeah, on your desktop. Yeah. Wow. Um, So, you know, that might have also been part of the motivation and part of the reason why the characters have, like, just pictures of people's faces that are on, like, 3D models, which is... I don't know, there's just something about that art style where, like, screenshots aren't even that funny, but when it's in motion, it's... And just looking at that... I can't even think about that that kind of thing without thinking of Max Payne, honestly, and, and Sam Lake's Max Payne face. <laughs> so, so actually, that thing brings up a good question because there is a there is a genre of games that has attempted to intentionally capitalize on that kind of like bad bad game ness, uh, a la you know, Quop and uh, Goat Simulator and Surgeon Simulator and like all these like bad physics games. Um, here I must do a brief shout out for Safari Rescue, which is a bad physics game that Kyla and I. <laughs> Um, it's true, we did make one of those. Samantha Thick made together. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, Teddy, Deef, and I published it for iOS. I don't think it's available anymore, which is sad. Maybe I should do something about that. Yeah, but anyway. It's, it's probably not compatible with newer iOSs. Yeah, but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, bad physics are funny. <laughs> and... I've- I've seen a lot of people give a lot of pushback against those style games. Maybe it was yeah. just an oversaturation well, thing. Yeah, I think so. I think it was somewhat of a problem that Goat Simulator was really financially successful because it led to people making bad physics games for, like, bad motivations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the the trick to a game like that is making it as, like, playing it as straight as possible. Essentially where, you know, the presentation is you know, earnest and holds things as, like, actually being important and stuff, and that, you know, then creates, like, a weird frame and juxtaposition for all the weird stuff going on. Because, um, like, you know, how Ghost Simulator has, like, the Tony Hawk style aesthetic where it's thinking that the things you're doing are all, like, super cool tricks, even though they're, you know... Really <laughs> like licking a fence and things. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Similarly, like, Co-op has, you know, the whole... Olympics atmosphere and then like the the weirdest physics is failure and you know um, I think that a lot of there are a lot of games after that that kind of said like oh well wackiness is the key like we must make this game wacky all over and those ones you know um, are ones that I don't want to play that's like what's the recent one um uh, getting over it, I think. I've heard that getting over it is like a masterpiece of game design. So again, I haven't actually played it, so I shouldn't comment. But there are oh, a lot is that of the one with the guy people. who's in? He's like, in like a, a cauldron. Pot? The bald, shirtless man in a cauldron trying to climb a mountain okay. using only like your arms and physics and a sledgehammer. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a pickaxe. Sorry, or or something okay. like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I have seen only memes of that. I have never actually seen the game itself. I've seen a small amount of footage of it. Oh, it's it's by the same guy who made Quop. Oh, okay. Apparently. What is it? Yeah. yeah I, I guess it gets a pass then because, like, Quop, <laughs> Quop is really sort of the progenitor of that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. So clearly I mean, he knows what he's doing. I had played, because I played Sexy Hiking as a challenge, the predecessor that game okay. some years ago and uh, I was like I was looking at Twitch I think and saw getting over it and then realized wait I know this game <laughs> so I had to play it and see what this was about did you enjoy the experience? Um, it has some good like things about it and it really like it takes itself for what it is it's like, it doesn't try to be anything other, and it's blunt about it, so it kind of works. It, it reminds so. me, in a way, of um, of the Trials games, and how there's so many ridiculous spin-offs of Trials, but it's all just, here, ride a bike across this landscape, and it's great. I love Trials. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> I have not heard of that. Oh yeah, it's it's like a like a dirt bike racing game. It's sort of like a 2.5D, but the the perspective is prone to very frequent shifts that give you really dramatic camera angles as you're, like, flying down a hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was one of the sort of original, um, like, that golden age of Xbox Live Arcade mm-hmm. yeah. titles. Um, also, I wanted to mention real quick that um, uh, Getting Over It is nominated for... Uh, excellence in Design, the Nuovo Award, and the Grand Prize in IGF. Oh so, Jesus! Is it... Yeah, I think there's there's some there's some legitimacy to the okay. game design. It it's it seems like it's really sort of an attempt to um, put an apotheosis on the wacky physics genre and kind of perfect it. So now like nobody really has to do it anymore. <laughs> Let's do it. We're Let's... just we're finishing. We're capping off this genre. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would I would trust Quap Guy to to cap it off. Yeah. Uh, Bennett? What's his name? Bennett, Bennett Foddy. Foddy. Yep. Yeah. Good on you, Bennett Foddy. Your name sounds like a bad physics game. <laughs> getting yeah, Over I'm... It. The full title of Getting Over It is indeed Getting Over It with Bennett Foddy. Yep. I mean that with the utmost respect. <laughs> uh. Um. I never did get to play Goat Simulator. I watched a lot of people let's playing it though, and it it seemed pretty dang fun. I haven't played it. Like I I actually pre-ordered it. Um, like before it came out. Obviously, that's what a pre-order is. Um, and I played a lot of it at the very beginning, and I haven't played it probably since when did it come out? Like 2014, maybe early 2014, I think. Um, and I really haven't played it since then. And I know there's probably just loads of of uh, you know, user-generated content and and additional stuff. Maybe I should go back and play. That's, Goat a, that's actually a good good question. Is about like the relative um, like shelf life of different kinds of humor games, because like a lot of jokes are funny the first time, but get less funny every time you hear them. You know, like in the same way that uh, Mike, I know you have a thing where you don't like to listen to. Um, like comedy music more than once um, because it's just kind of a joke. Yeah, right. Generally, I find that listening to a novelty song a second time 
just, you know, the novelty has worn off and it just is like a song, but not as good. Um, (laughs) so, you know, I, I think that, yeah, that's a good point that games have, um, you know, games that just have jokes follow a similar arc to, you know, movies or, um, you know, songs where if they have, you know, if the humor's nuanced and has layers and there's cool stuff in the background or whatever, you can kind of keep doing it and finding new things and appreciating it. But um, games also have the ability to, you know, hide humor, essentially, or let you create your own humor. That's true. And so, you know, um, but it's, yeah, like, um, I do procedure... Think Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, like, gameplay systems that are supposed to be funny in themselves, like Ghost Simulator and um, uh, procedurally generated stuff um, can kind of lead to a burnout, I suppose, where, like, the whole system is essentially the source of the humor. And yeah, you... that's, that's basically exactly what I was going to say, is, like, the problem is if the joke is the mechanic... And then, like, you you can only spend so much time doing that mechanic before it feels like you're just telling the same joke over and over and over. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, might be might be why it's not as much fun to, like, come back to Goat Simulator as it is to come back to something like Undertale. Yeah, probably. I feel like I have another example of that, of that sort of thing, but I, uh, I can't think of it. It's like in the back of my head trying to come forward, but it's not working, so never mind. That's okay. If you think of it, you can put it in the uh, in the Twitter feed under the, like, yeah. as a response to the post for the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, but anyway, those those are my questions three. Um, now you so are free to return if, to the grave. <laughs> um, is there, does anybody else have any, any other stuff they want to cover, or... No, you were you were thorough as always. <laughs> it's, no, just, it's just it's just shocking think myself. <laughs> yeah, I think. All we right did then. It. Well, we will cool. do. Oh, so, Mike, you are welcome to stay for the end of the podcast where we like introduce the next game, and then we do like sign up stuff where you can like plug your uh, your games websites and twitters and things like that. Sure, I, I wanted to ask before. I exited. Did did you cover like general impressions of the game and stuff in the uh, in the intro? Uh, it, more or less. Is it good I, that I wasn't here? <laughs> I'm I glad mean, that we, I, I'm glad that I didn't, you know, like poison the well or you know in, in, in influence anybody's initial impressions of the game. That's okay. I mean, we mostly uh, we mostly just more or less factually covered what it was, like talked about. Um, you know what the mechanics are and stuff, but don't worry, we didn't spend too much time just like bashing it and uh, and ripping it to pieces. So we didn't well, spend any time. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that's the most useful and delightful sort of feedback. <laughs> uh, be uh, careful saying that no. even jest <laughs> these no. days. That is true. Um, yeah, no, there there is no inherent value to negative feedback over positive feedback, except you know, that you kind of have a psychological bias that negative feedback is more honest. 
That's true. Because, you know, you suspect that if somebody has positive feedback, it's because they're your friend or, like, they have some sort of angle or something. And so it's disingenuous. Um, well, we did we did uh, <laughs> talk about the game entirely, like, on our own first. So if you want to go back and, uh, and listen to us, uh, or listen to this when it's out, um, you will get our honest opinions. So... Well, in general, this seems like a pretty good podcast, and so I'm looking forward to listening to it. <laughs> Speaking of genuineness, um, <laughs> that's okay. It's been good having you on. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us for for talking about your game. Uh, yeah, this was fun, and you know, thanks for playing my game. Yeah. Um, hopefully, I, hopefully, we'll get a chance to play uh, Astronaut the Best once it comes out. Yeah. Yes, yes. Look for that in, uh, you know, sure. probably next year. Realistically, I might have some news about it soon. I don't know. Um, I don't want to jinx anything. So, um, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, I'd be very interested in what people have to say about a game that I didn't just write in one night after having a whole bunch of caffeine. <laughs> yeah. In general. Things things that one cares about. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's briefly just uh, talk about what we're going to play for next time. Yeah. I think it's your intro because you picked yeah. it. <laughs> I'm super excited about it. I'm super excited and slightly guilty about this, but we're playing Spore because... I wanted to play Spore again, because it's been a while since I've played Spore, and I was planning to play it a lot this week anyway, so this way I get to have it be my podcast game, <laughs> so it feels like I'm doing, like, homework while I'm playing it. That's um, totally it's, fine. It's available in a lot of places. I think it's on Steam. It's definitely on Origin. Um, it's I personally, on Dog as well. Yeah. yeah so. Wow, is it that old? I guess it's, like, 2008, I think. Eight, yeah. So um, basically, a decade old. at this point. Well, yeah, they have like newer games though. So yeah, slightly less than a decade, but marginally less than a decade. Yeah. Um, I I personally have uh, the base game and the the creepy and cute parts pack, uh, which is just like basically a more content DLC, but also the um, Galactic Adventures expansion, which. If you feel like splurging on a DLC, I actually recommend that one because it's kind of like a mini game maker inside of Spore where you can just make your own games and quests for other people to play. Hmm. Um, and so for, for those maybe, if there are people who, who don't know what Spore is or haven't heard of Spore, um, it was a game by the Maxis team, which the people who do like The Sims and SimCity, uh, headed by Will Wright, who's, you know, like a a big name in the simulation genre. Um, and it was based, the original concept was based on the Powers of Ten video, this idea of, like, zooming in and out from, like, microscopic scale to, like, grandiose galactic scale, and the idea of, um, like, following an organism through that journey. So you start off as a tiny, like, single-celled organism, and you, like, work your way up to an animal, and you, like, survive in a, you know, um, food chain uh, as an animal, and then you become, like, a, you know, tribal uh, uh, you know, sentient group and work your way up to cities and then from cities you work your way into space and then you, there's like all kinds of like space colony gameplay at the end and so the, you know the really cool thing about it is it's creation tools um, 
all all of the content in it, or like ninety percent of the content in it, probably much more than ninety at this point, uh, is user generated. So when you you create your creatures and you create the the buildings for your cities and you create your spaceships and all this stuff, and everything you create gets put into a database. Um, and all the database stuff, like, is selectively downloaded into your game. And you can even curate it. You can, like, friend certain people online so you make sure you get more of their content, uh, which I've done a lot of, so I end up getting a lot of really cool creatures. Um, and so it's sort of like asynchronous multiplayer because you're getting content from everybody else, but you're not actively interacting with the other players. Um, and it was sort of really conceptually cool. Um but there was a lot of stuff around its release um, that 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 it got a lot of flack, and we we can talk about that more when we actually talk about it for the podcast next time. Um, but it's you know it's worth probably it's you know as we say it's been a decade now it's maybe worth going back and uh, taking another look at. Yeah. So we're gonna check it out. Also, cool. just just because I'm like looking at it right now as a heads up to anybody who is gonna be buying the game like me uh, on Steam the. All of the DLC and the base game is like forty bucks if you get it as a bundle. Uh, on GOG, it's thirty. So, you know, save yourself ten bucks. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. there's that. So, if I may make a slight recommendation, I think it would be um, interesting to like try to dig up that original um, Will Wright's Power of Ten demo of Spore that came out a few years before Spore, because yes. that's essentially the most impressive game demo that I have ever seen and like people yeah, that would were unbelievably a lot of, hyped about the game. Yeah, that would provide a lot of context for why this game was not well received when it came out because that's what it was compared to. Hmm. I'm looking to see but if yeah. I can find it, but the, yeah, we'll I, I, see. Should, if, yeah, I if shouldn't we can, be looking right now. Anyway. Yeah, if we, can, uh, if we can find it, we should post it with the, the link to like the info about next week or next, next podcast. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Mike, why don't you go first with the... We do a sign-off here. We just talk about, you know, like, who we are and where you can find us online, any projects to watch out for, that kind of thing. Oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, again, I have been uh, Mike Sennett. I I published... uh, Oh, yeah, I published The Ghosts of Christmas Blank under the name Like a Fox, and you can... um, Actually, can I can I sneak a link into the video description or like Twitter or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you like the game, then it would theoretically help me if you wrote a positive review for it on the Internet Fiction database, um, because then more people would be able to like find it, and it would come up when people search for holiday games and things like that, and that would be neat. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, as I said before, I'm currently working on a big project called Astronaut the Best that by the time it's come out, I will spend like five years or something like that working on it um, after work and, you know, when I could. Um, and you can find everything there is to know about that one at 2 dumb 4 space So that's the number 2, dumb, the number 4, dot space. <laughs> dot space? What the heck is the dot space extension? It's for space stuff. I didn't realize that was an internet extension. It might, it might not be for space stuff. It might be for things that want to be like MySpace or something. Yeah, but as far as we're concerned, it is. It's, it's for, also astronautthebest.com. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's 
way more typing, but you, you can type that if you choose. It's a moral decision, and the site will not judge you for it. <laughs> I was going to say, the site will give you <laughs> feedback and judgment based on your moral decision? Yeah, it just says, you know, we, we make it so the site says, um, this website will remember that, and then it doesn't really do anything with it later. <laughs> but you get you get a few humbug points, so just keep that in mind for when you die. Right. Nice. Alright, do you, you don't have, like, a Twitter, do you? Um, no. I do not have a Twitter. Uh, Astronaut the Best has a Twitter. It's at Astronaut Best. Um, we don't really update it, but, <laughs> hey, we, we, I guess it's more like a feed of news bulletins and that we update it, like, every few months when something happens or we're gonna be at a convention or something. So, you know, it's a, um, the low impact a, Twitter. If you need a Twitter to follow that only gives you the essentials, right? Yeah, it's a concise, you know, low footprint sort of Twitter. Um, um, who knows? Probably when the game's closest to release. Um, oh, I forgot that was my New Year's resolution. I was going to start tweeting screenshots. Well, <laughs> shoot, that's a New Year's resolution that's never going to happen. Uh, uh, maybe I'll make it like a. February resolution. You're you're only it's only two weeks into into the new year. If you just tweet two images, you're probably good to keep up. It will yeah. have to wait until next year. <laughs> it pretty much takes me a week to tweet because I have like for some reason I have worse social anxiety on the internet because everything is just archived forever and everybody can see it forever. Um, yeah, Twitter's real bad for that. <laughs> Right, so, you know, I'll, um, I'm going to work on mustering up the bravery to tweet sometimes if you follow Astronaut Best on Twitter. Alright, cool. Nice. Kelso, you're usually next. Okay, I am usually next. Hooray! <laughs> uh, yes, hello, I'm Kelso. I do this podcast that you are currently listening to. Thank you for listening to it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kelso Timebomb. Uh, I, I do art tweets at KTimebombArt. Sometimes, you know, also also a low impact Twitter. So you you, uh, you tweet adorable pictures of your parents' dogs, <laughs> new dogs. Yeah, yeah. I I need to go downstairs and take more pictures of the puppy, but you know, it's not going to be a puppy for long. It's true. Uh, it, later that's, later that's this month, time. I'm going to be like dog sitting for a whole week. Uh, so there will be a whole lot of opportunities oppor- opportunities to do that. So look forward to uh, to a small dog for now. Okay, that's the that's the incentive for following Kelso on Twitter. Is yeah, small dog and cats and uh, yeah, large dogs too sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I am at Kyla underscore Go on Twitter. Um, Kyla Fury. I do a uh, weekly stream on Sunday mornings at ten Pacific. Uh, called Uncaged Fury, where I play um, just, like, classic old games that people have a lot of nostalgia for uh, that I didn't get to play when they were brand new. And so I, you know, do blind playthroughs, and we kind of see how the game design holds up and how the nostalgia holds up over over time. Um I feel like there was one more thing I was going to plug. No, I, I'm just, I'm in the mode of, like, having streamed this morning, I'm in the mode of, like, plugging all the other End Defender stuff, but don't normally do that here. Yeah, so at Kyla underscore go. Yeah. 
You can follow me on Twitter at Skug3. Yay. Hooray. And you still still refuse to give homework for for people over Twitter. Yeah, and I had spilled water all over my mouse pad. Well, there we go. Well, well, okay. This has been the podcast. Thank you, Mike, for joining us uh, next time in two weeks. Right? Is it going to be two weeks? Do I do I have anything in two weeks that's going to preclude me from podcasting? No, I do not. Good. Two weeks. Right, so as far as we know, in two weeks, we're going to play Spore. So yeah. play that. And remember, if you are listening to this, we love having guest hosts, so feel free to come in and guest host and talk with us because we like hearing voices other than just our own. Yeah, it's great. Okay, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.